1: Hi everyone, welcome Dance to This History, we've gone back to the archives now and we have taken out an episode that's a particular favourite of mine, it was an amazing opportunity, I took my family, well in fact my wife who is a criminal justice campaigner, she took me and my little daughter to meet someone wrongly imprisoned on death row for 28 years, his name is Anthony Ray Hinton, he has now been released by the state of Alabama and he is an extraordinary and powerful campaigner for forgiveness and for justice. He was incorrectly convicted of the murders of two restaurant managers, John Davidson and Thomas Wayne Versona in 1985, and he was released after nearly 30 years after he won a retrial. The evidence against him was flimsy to non-existent. So in this podcast, Anthony and I talked about his experiences, talked about racial justice in the US, in the Deep South. We walked the streets of Birmingham, Alabama, a place which saw so many of the remarkable incidents that have become familiar to millions of us from the great clash for civil rights that took place. And I was overwhelmed really by his generosity, his lack of animosity, his determination to live a good life, despite the fact that so many years were taken away from him. He wasn't allowed out of prison to go to his mother's funeral. I hope you enjoyed this episode in which me and I suppose my daughter as well we asked Anthony lots of questions about his experiences and what he learned. If you wish to go and listen to other back episodes of the podcast that aren't available on this free feed where you're listening now, you can go to History Hit TV. It's our digital history channel and we've got hundreds of hours of documentaries on there. We have got thousands of podcasts on there without the ads and for a very small subscription, you get to subscribe to the whole thing. It's join the revolution, folks. It's going to be awesome. Please follow the link in the description of this podcast, and that will take you right there. I am gearing up. I'm literally gearing up, in fact. I just bought a pair of very nice cold-weather boots because I'm on my way to Antarctica. History Hit is on the expedition to find Shackleton's missing shipwreck endurance, and you'll be able to follow all our adventures here on the podcast, on our social channels, and, of course, eventually on our TV channel, History Hit TV, where you'll be learning about exactly what goes down. On the expedition. In the meantime, folks, here's Anthony Ray Hinton. Enjoy.
2: So, Ray, where are we now? we at the Birmingham Civil Rights Institute. And then oh. we got,
1: is that the 14th Street Church? It's there? on the 16th Street 60. Baptist Church. Mm-hmm. We got the 16th Street Church. Baptist Church, yes. And
2: white uh, extremists blew up that church? Uh, they did. Uh, I think it was on a Sunday morning or uh, they was getting ready to attend Sunday school, and four little young black girls between the ages of five and I think uh, maybe eight uh, lost their life that Sunday morning. Uh, the bomb was set off by the Ku Klux Klan uh, back in the early '60s, and that's where it was. And
1: do you remember what uh, was Birmingham like in that time for you growing up?
2: Uh, Birmingham was perhaps the racist uh, city or state of Alabama uh, as a whole, but Birmingham was sure enough racist. We had this uh, man by the name of Bull Connor who was uh, the commissioner, police chief, and he hated black people with a passion. I mean, I don't even know if hate would even be the proper word to say. Uh, He sicked the dogs on them. This is uh, Kelly England Park, right here. And they set the hoses, the dogs from the fire trucks, sprayed them with water, and uh, it was just a mess back then, uh, the way black people was treated, just because they were born black.
3: You know?
1: what's, uh, what's interesting about your story, though, is that people sometimes think maybe Martin Luther King came here and, and fixed it all.
2: But you were subject to discrimination, what, well, in the years after this? Absolutely. Oh, the problems weren't solved. Oh, the problem is not solved, and they never will be solved until people learn that we all was God creation. We all uh, is here for a reason. Uh, there is no black hair, there is no white hair, and we might as well to try to get along here. I have never... To this day, understood racism. I have never understood what would make a human being hate another man simply because he was not born the same color that he were. I find it rewarding that we are different in ways. I mean, I can learn from you. Hopefully, you can learn from me. And uh, I do believe that this world is big enough for all of us to enjoy it together. And uh, where all this hatred come from and why, I just don't understand. It.
1: When, when lots of other people come here, I come here and think, "Oh, this is a happy place." And Dr. King was here. And for you, is this a hollow place because because you have it, these problems persisted, and then you end up being in prison for thirty years, partly yes. because of racial prejudice. Absolutely. Uh,
2: don't let uh, this might not be nineteen sixty-four and sixty-five, and uh, although we're in 2000, 17... Uh, Racism still exists very much in this country. Uh, It exists more so in the South to me than other places that you could ever imagine. It is just done now on the cover better. I often tell people that the Klux Klan took off the white robe and put on the black robe. They have more power now to do whatever they want. Uh, White men's pure hatred become judges, they become police officers, they become everything to show and to become more and more hatred, torture. And now they have the law on their side because they are the law. And where back then it was just mobs of people. But now uh, look at how black men are being killed in this country. And so to me racism have uh went away. It's been here all along. It's just coming to full circles now
1: but you still think what those those de- campaigners out here, those demonstrators, the people who followed Dr. King, you still think they were doing an important job here?
2: They oh, ab- absolutely. I mean, uh, make no mistake about it. Uh, I think we have come a long ways, but the sad segment of it all is that we still have a long ways to go. I mean, people from other countries, they read about America. They see uh, how you can come and make a decent living. You come and see all the good. They don't know the bad and once they get here they after years or whatever it might not take that long they start seeing exactly uh, the bad uh you take the mexicans you take uh, anyone of color uh they come here and after while they is treated just as bad as the blacks so um, you know i don't know what they're gonna take but this is not a white world this is not a white uh Predominantly, state we guess all got to learn to get along, and we got to all learn to share whatever we have. So we're just looking at we're just looking at some of the exhibits in the museum here. It's like the '60s were a crazy time in the South. Oh, uh, the '60s was showing enough some crazy time. I mean, as a black man, you couldn't ride at night. You couldn't. If you did, you was actually to be killed. You was acting for trouble. Uh, everybody thought that you was a part of third coming of the world. I mean, just being black, you could be uh, not even involved in the pickies or the the non-bus ride. Just the fact that you was black was uh, a reason enough for the police to pull you over, kill you, beat you to death or whatever. I mean, uh, I never seen so much hatred than I had at the age of eight, nine. And My mom used to try to explain it to you. And how do you explain what's going on to children. Uh, all they know is how to go outside and play and, and try to enjoy life, but this is what was going on. And even today I ask, what was it all about? I mean, what was it so bad that the black man had to endure all of the harsh treatment that they went through uh, simply because the color of their skin? And as Martin Luther King said, if we're wrong, then God Almighty is wrong. And I mean, He created us. And those same men that would sit there and beat you because of the color of your skin, it's the same men that was blown to some church and believed in God and and worship God and praise God. And uh, but outside of that, they I guess they felt that God made a mistake by creating a black man. And, People just don't understand what black people have been through and what black people go through, and they think that we truly have overcome, but really and truthfully, uh, we haven't overcome anything. Uh, we still have no power when it comes to equal justice. We still have no power when it comes to uh, making decisions. All, all decisions are made from white people. Uh, make no mistake about it. You know, sort of Uh, Right there in Montgomery where the decision making is made, yeah, you have some black senators, but they don't even have a voice where they can get any kind of bill passed through. Think about it. Let's say there's 15 white men and there's 14 black men, and we have to put this up to a vote for something. If the 15 white men stay together, who wins? They votes. And this is what we have. So all the all the decision making, all the law that is made and created, white men make them. And so that's why I challenge people to tell me where have we progressed in. Why haven't we got a little closer to help making decisions that is not just for black, but for everybody. All the power is still in right for. Uh, in Alabama you have sixty-seven counties. Sixty-seven and you only have one black DA in 67 county. Now, you tell me what's wrong with that picture. No.
1: Okay, well, Ray, we're sitting in your house now. We got it on a, on a sofa here. Hmm. We got the Universal Declaration of Human Rights on yes. the back of the sofa. Uh, that's important for a man who's been denied the most basic of rights. For-
2: Absolutely, I mean, I read it daily. I think about human rights. You know, this country that we live in called America, is always criticizing other country about human rights, and America House is not clean. Uh, American treat his citizen far worse than other country. It's just what I call uh, America dirty little secret. And I just always wonder how in the world can you criticize other country about their citizen when you exactly do the same thing.
1: So quickly, tell me, just we'll start. What happened to you?
2: Uh, At the age of, early age of 29, uh, the state of Alabama uh, had had two restaurant managers robbed and killed. And they was just out looking for any blackmail they could find. I just happened to be the one they found. Came and arrested me with no... No eyewitness, no fingerprints, no nothing. And my mom owned an old pistol. They came and my my mom let them have the pistol and they went back. instead of telling the truth, they said that the pistol matched the bullets that they uh, uh, retrieved from the deceased bodies. That cost me 30 years of my life. Uh, I wish I could say that Alabama made a mistake. I, I, I mean, I would love to be able to say, hey, they got it wrong. But Alabama knew exactly what they was doing. The authority knew exactly that their own bullets didn't match that pistol. But in America, when you're black, poor, you can go to uh, prison for the rest of your life. Uh, but Alabama had every intention of executing me for a crime that they knew that I didn't do.
1: So you were 30 years on death row. Yes. Now I've got my daughter here. She's got a question for you. Yeah.
3: (laughs) What was your day like at death row and what did you wear? What did you normally have for lunch and dinner?
2: Uh, We wore uh, all white, white pants, white shirts. Uh, Dinner and lunch and breakfast was the worst food you could ever eat. Uh, in prison, it is designed for you not to fall in love with it. Uh, it is designed to make you feel less than a human being. And I had to endure 30 years of it uh, just sitting there eating the worst foods you could possibly ever eat, wearing the same clothes day in and day out. Uh, you only could change clothes every six months. Uh, they'll give you a new pair of pants once every six months. And uh, sitting there, I hate this said, but it was pure hell. That's what my day was like. Every day was pure hell, and I had to find a way to relieve myself from uh, that hell. And so in my mind, I just imagined being being gone, and that's the only way I was able to survive that 30 years of pure hell.
1: And you didn't just survive, because everyone that knows you now knows that you're a particularly uh, positive, upbeat person. So somehow you came through that experience stronger.
2: Uh, Well, I would like to think so. You know, uh, my enemies was trying to have me executed. And I believe that I was given this strength uh, through my faith, I've always believed that uh, no matter what your enemy tried to do for you, if you have God on your side, you will prevail. And this strength just came from uh, the teaching of my mother as a young boy to believe in myself, to never let anyone uh, take anything from me that they don't deserve. I couldn't do a thing about the 30 years because I had been, before this so-called justice system, and the justice system sends me to die. But this mind, this joy that I uh, developed while I've been there for 30 years, there's nothing the system could do about it. Uh, they couldn't come in there and say, stop being happy. Uh, stop pretending like you're over in England visiting the queen. Stop pretending that you're talking to the queen. There's nothing they could do about that. That's what I found joy Uh the fact that I had the upper hand and I could just go where I want, when I want, to, in my mind. And if they could, they probably would charge me for escape because I definitely wasn't there. <laughs> you know. Uh, I, I've got a, okay. My daughter's got another question.
3: What did you want from the state of Alabama? And who? Um, what did you miss the most?
2: Uh, the most, the thing that I missed the most was uh, my mother. Uh, my mother was up in age and. Uh, Living here all alone, and I just thought that it was a disservice to not only her, uh, but to me to miss all of those years with the mother that I had. I had a loving, kind mother who went beyond the call of duty as a mother uh, to provide for me. Uh, My father lost his mind when I was four, and so my mother then stopped. She provided me with food, shelter, clothes. Uh, Whatever I needed, my mother was always there.
1: This is Dan Snow's history. Got Anthony Ray Hinton, wrongly convicted, spent 28 years on death row. More coming up.
0: wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by History Hit.
1: You'll say your father lost your mind because he was involved in an industrial accident working in the mines here in in Birmingham, which is a great industrial city of the South. In a way, your family has been a a great example of of what happens to uh, working black families here. You've you've been subject to uh, terrible... Working conditions and, and industrial practices, uh travesties of justice. And you're a historian. I mean, it what what is it over the last decades, over the last centuries do you think that has that has made your family
2: story what it is? Mm, now that's a little hard to say because you know, uh, strength. Uh my mom was a strong woman. And can you just imagine having a at least six of us were still in the house when my father lost his mind. But And my mom would work in white people's houses, uh, cleaning, whatever she had to do to provide for us. And so I think the historic point would be that I drew strength from the fact that I could go back and see how she made it. And I knew, even on death row, if my mom can make it... Uh, I surely can make it. Because even on death row, I felt I had a little more advantage than she had. And so you draw strength from what you've seen her go through. You draw strength from the fact that she never complained. She just always kept a smile on her face and made it through another day. And that's really what I did. I just drew strength from her all the devastation uh, that she had went through.
1: You, you've told me that if people don't know the past, they don't know where they are in the present what what is it what's important about the history of the black community here in alabama uh that you think people should know
2: well of all the wrongdoing all the racism that they had to endure uh and uh that type of uh uh thing was that blacks was hung uh just because they was black uh the fear that was put in black back in the late, the late 60s, uh, afraid to be called out at night. Uh, I want young people especially to know their history. Uh, everything that they think they have as far as equal right, someone had to pay a, a heavy price for that. For instance, Martin Luther King paid a price. Gave his life so that we could be better. Even I could be better. And I want young people, white people, everybody to know that for what we have now, there were some people paid a severe price for it. They lost their life uh, simply because they was marching and trying to get equal rights, voting rights. And here we are 200 years later, and here to America trying to make it even harder. For people of color to vote, and so, uh, one hand I feel that we made progress, and on the other hand I feel that we still back in the late '60s. It just done more undercover where you can't see it and recognize it, as though back in the '60s it was just out and open. Uh, and I just want young people to stop believing in this American dream. Stop believing that. Uh, you have the opportunity to be everything you want to do. No, you don't. Or uh, you denied uh, scholarship simply because the color of your skin. You denied interest of a lot of things, a lot of programs that average white person get in America or blacks can't get. But you don't hear nobody really talking about it because they don't want the world to know that America is racist to its core. I'm talking about there's no other country that I think is more racist than America. And I see it every day. Uh, I tend to stay away from it in the sense of, I go where I feel I'm welcome, or I don't go where I don't think I'm welcome. And so I want young people to understand uh, too, they need to educate themselves. And the first thing I would ask them to do is pick up history, go and talk to people that know history, because American history books don't have a lot of the history, in them. they don't want you to be up on history. They want you to be ignorant. And so I would invite young people to just go out and do their homework and learn the history, because I am a true believer there's no way you can have a future unless you know your past. Um...
3: Do you forgive the people that put you in prison?
2: I do, and and I forgive them not because they have come up to me and said, Mr. Hinton, uh, I'm sorry, will you accept my apology? Uh, No one in the state of Alabama has asked my forgiveness. I don't forgive those people because they asked me to. I don't forgive them so they can sleep good at night. I forgive them so I can sleep good at night. I forgive them because it is my Christian duty to forgive them. And it would be against everything my mother taught me if I was running around here hating uh, the very people that did this to me. She used to tell me as a young boy, she said, there will be people that dislike you because of the color of your skin. She said, you are not to hate them, you are to pray for them. And so uh, I took that as a a man, and she is right. It's like, wait, I won't lie. For the first three years that I was on death row, I couldn't think of nothing but revenge, nothing but hatred. And that hatred was making me not smile. It was making me not laugh. It was making me not want to be around anybody. So I know what hatred was doing. It was eating me up inside. And, and I compare it, and I, I apologize to anyone that have it, but I compare it to like cancer. It just slowly eats you up. And so I had to get rid of that hate. And the only way that I could get rid of it is that I had to forgive the means that did this to me. I won't sit here and say it came overnight. It came in the year, but gradually it just left me, and I could feel it when it had left me. I began to smile more, I began to laugh more, I wanted to be around people again. Uh, And so, it's not important to me that Alabama have yet to do what they are supposed to do. Alabama have not apologized. Alabama have not given me one penny. I got out of prison, I had nowhere to live, I had no clothes, I had nothing. But thank God I had a friend. Uh, him and his wife uh, invited me into their home, uh, bought me clothes. Uh, my family, as well, they bought clothes. But I just had to start all over again. I'm talking about a place to live. Or, or everything I had to go get identification. So it's not like I got out of prison and everything was set up good for me. I had to literally start over from scratch.
1: And in, in uh, on death row, are you held in solitary on, on death row?
2: Yes, you're in solitary for really 24 hours, but every now and then they'll come by and uh, let you go outside uh, and get a breath of fresh air. That's rare, but they will do it occasionally. And But for the most part, you're in solitary uh, 23 hours a day. That's every day. And so uh, you have nothing but time to reflect about life, whether you made good decision or bad decision, or uh, you have time to see the world for what it is. You have time to see people for what they truly are. Uh, it is a thinking thing, a tank, and I used it to, to think. I used it to hopefully to better myself. And one thing I always believed that I would get out, but I didn't want to get out and have this hate I wanted to get out and enjoy life. I want to tell people that I'm going to hear this. You may not have no money, you may not even have a place to live, but there's nothing more important than your freedom. And even with that freedom, you can find sunshine even on a rainy day. You can find warmth on a cold day. And you can find laughter when something is really not funny. I'm telling you, there is nothing in this world that it's more important to me than my freedom. I may not have any money, I may not have a car, I may not have nothing, but just to be able to be free, to walk where I want, to go where I want, that's freedom. And for 30 years, I was told where to go, how far I could go, and it put a perspective on me as far as freedom and what it all stands for.
3: Is Trump gonna make um, America great again and
2: That's good. Uh, I don't think Trump can make America great again and again. I will ask the question. I would like to know when was America great? Uh, I was born in 1956. I grew up in a country that was full of racists. I grew up where men's was being lynched on a daily basis. I grew up where you couldn't uh, eat in a certain places. Uh, I grew up where you couldn't ride in the front of buses. So I wanted someone to ask Mr. Trump, uh, ask someone of importance, when was America great? And if you find out, please uh, get in touch with me and let me know the answer to that.
1: It's a very challenging conversation for me because I'm someone who's always looked up to America and I'm steeped in the history of the Constitution and the Americans coming, helping Britain in the First and Second World War and all the amazing things. So... For me for me, and I suppose that's because I'm an affluent white person, an English speaking white person, uh hearing this, I still find it sort of it's something that runs against everything that I deep down sort of believe and understand. So Well, you know,
2: uh I understand where you're coming from because America haven't showed you they dare the secret. Uh American haven't and don't want people to Know their dirty little secret. Uh, I have no reason to lie on America. America have been good to me. America, in the same token, have been perhaps the worst thing that could ever happen to me. And so, I want people to really understand something. America may put on this beautiful face, but when nightfall comes, the true America come out. The backdoor deal is made. Only the rich is make the decision for everybody in America. Uh, people of color have no say, so they have no power. And that is designed by this great country called America. Uh, America might came and help the Brits in World War One and Two, but you can bet America did it. Not just because they loved the Brits. They had a motive for doing it.
3: Did you, like, make friends with anybody in death row when you were, like, in your cage?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yes, I made uh, lots of friends when I was in that cage. Uh, Being around people for 30 years, there's no way you can't make friends. Uh, with people, other death row inmates. And not only did I make friends with uh, death row inmates, I would like to think that I made friends with the guards. Uh, You know, I'm warned that I didn't have no animosity toward those guards. They treated me with respect. They treated me like a human being. They didn't put me there. They didn't excuse me, come to the courthouse and say, uh, spread lies that wasn't true on me. Uh, I realized that they had a job to do, and their job was to keep me in that confinement. And when it was time for me to uh, leave that prison, guess what? Those same guards that locked me up, opened that door, and escorted me out of the prison. And so they just did their job. And I didn't go there with any hatred toward no gods or anything. I always believe, treat human beings with respect, and hopefully all I can do is ask that it give them back to me. And if it's not... It's not, but I'm going to always treat people with respect.
1: You did meet that white supremacist on death row?
2: Yes. Uh, I read, uh, Henry Hayes was his name, and uh, Henry was at the time maybe 19 or 20 when he came to death row. Uh, he had hung a 17-year-old black youth in the middle of the street uh, from the orders of his father who was a grand wizard. And Henry came to death row. And while he was on death row, no blacks mistreated Henry, no blacks uh, threatened Henry at all, because they was there for crime as well. And so how can you point the finger at someone else when you' there for the exact same thing, they may not have hung anybody, but they was all there accused of killing someone and If Hayes was still alive, he would be the first one to tell you that his mother and his father and all the clans members uh lied to him all his life. They told him this these bizarre stories that black people was. Uh, like animals, they had no feeling, they didn't uh hurt and they didn't cry. We for some reason we are built different than white people. Uh and so when you feed a child at, at an early age, they believed that and he believed that. But when he came to death row and got around blacks, he seen a side that his father and mother didn't tell him. And he seen that black people cared about him, at least the guys on death row cared about him. When Hayes needed something, if someone had it, they gave it to him. Uh, and Hayes was quoted as saying before he was executed, all of his life, his mother and father and his community lied to him, but he learned what true love felt like, and he felt uh, learned what compassion felt like, and he got it while he was on death row by blacks. Uh, Henry Hayes left me some books, uh, In his will. When he was executed. The thing that I've always. Will remember. Is that parents. Regardless of how you feel. You are to your children. To be truthful to them. And there's no reason. Any white person. In my opinion. Can sit down and give their kids. A reason to hate anyone. Especially black people. Black people have did everything. They've been asked to do in this country. They fought for this country. And yet they are still treated like third-class citizens in this country. Well,
1: uh, the, your book is uh, published. What's it
2: called? Uh, it is called The Sun Does Shine.
1: Sun Does Shine, remarkably optimistic <laughs> title that I think reflects the uh, incredible incredible positivity and lessons uh, within the book. Good
2: luck with it all, Ray. See you next time. Thank you. And may I say hello to the Queen? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I should say, everyone, the Queen, you developed a relationship with the Queen whilst you are on death row,
2: didn't you? I did. The Queen saved my insanity. And uh, I would love one day to just say thank you. And she probably would look at me if I could say thank you. And she probably would say, what is he talking about? Thank you. But, you know, I developed this fascination that I escaped mind wise and went to the palace and the Queen and I had this beautiful lovely conversation for hours and and it was one person helping another person you know uh, and so she will always be a part of someone that I give credit for helping me do those 30 years. Without her I don't know what I've been able to do it.
1: I think if you met the Queen in real life she might just know exactly what you're talking about. Uh,
2: I would hope so but again I would love to say thank you to her, but if she, somehow someone can get her message and just tell her that, she helped me and didn't even know she was helping someone. I we have the history upon our shoulders. All this
3: tradition of ours, our school history, our songs, this part of the history of our country, all were gone and finished.
1: Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Dan Snow's History. I really appreciate listening to this podcast. I love doing these podcasts. It's a highlight of my career. It's the best thing I've ever done. And your support, your listening is obviously crucial for that project. If you did feel like doing me a favor, if you go to wherever you get your podcast and give it a review, give it a rating, obviously a good one, ideally, then that would be fantastic and feel free to share it. We obviously depend on listeners, depend on more and more people finding out about it, depend on good reviews at checkout.